Welcome to Integrative Conversations, hosted by the Academy of Integrative Mental Health. The Academy expands knowledge to professionals in the mental health community and beyond, using a conscious, experiential, and evidence-based format. Our mission is to deliver comprehensive health and wellness to all by empowering personal and professional growth and confidence. To learn more, visit us at www.academyimh.com. This podcast is intended to provide information as a resource and is not a substitute for mental health treatment, medical advice, or professional training, and the statements and views shared by the guest are their own. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Jennifer Owens here, Director of the Academy of Integrative Mental Health and your host for today's episode, which is a mental health news update. So we're bringing you some of the latest topics in mental health news. Let's go ahead and get started with the Adderall shortage. The FDA has confirmed an Adderall shortage and people are being directed to contact their mental health professionals if they are affected. So what do we need to know? Neuroscientist and founding CEO of SinuRx, Dr. Sai, notes Adderall is currently being prescribed more than ever. According to Bloomberg reporting, amphetamine sales surged more in the second quarter of 2021 than they had in nearly a decade. And when demand increases while supply stays the same, we're left with a shortage. Dr. Sai discussed some possible factors that could explain the unprecedented surge of ADHD diagnosis during the pandemic. He mentioned social media as one potential factor in the surge, as more people are being exposed to the symptoms of ADHD via Instagram and TikTok, and then reach out to their primary care provider for medication. Another possible reason for the increased prescribing of Adderall could be the rise of online mental health care startups. One such telehealth service, Cerebral Inc., is now under investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice for its prescription practices of substances like Adderall and Xanax. The service, which offers therapy and counseling for numerous mental health conditions, as well as medications for those conditions, has since paused all prescriptions for new users. But in just two years, Cerebral has already registered more than 200,000 patients. Former former employees of Cerebral allege that the company prioritized profits over patient safety by overprescribing medications, providing little to no actual counseling, and targeting new customers with misleading social media ads. This level of wrongdoing may be unique to one company, but it's representative of a lack of adequate care when it comes to mental health, especially for those who are most vulnerable. So if you have a client who is unable to obtain their regularly prescribed Adderall, they might experience withdrawal symptoms such as mental and physical exhaustion and feelings of depression within several hours of the last dosage and may continue for up to two days. They also might notice physical and mental effects far after that. Just go ahead and check in with your clients and with about their experience. Experts also recommend drinking plenty of fluids, eating healthy meals, getting some exercise, and giving yourself time to rest and recuperate if you're experiencing withdrawal symptoms. Over-the-counter painkillers and sleep aids can also provide some relief. Additionally, you might want to offer alternatives and symptom management and look into additional supports at school, work, and in the home. 
The National Center, Center for Complementary and Integrative Health evaluates the evidence of integrative approaches for ADHD, including omega-3 fatty acids and melatonin for sleep disturbances, which are all both evidence-based. James Lake Integrative Psychiatrist includes zinc, iron, pinus marinus, which is French maritime pine bark, and a Chinese herbal formula, Ning Dong. I would also recommend assessing and discussing with your client the dangers of purchasing Adderall without a prescription, specifically the distribution of fake pills or pills cut that include fentanyl, which is extremely deadly. So very important to check in where people are getting their Adderall if they're not able to get it from their prescriber. And the sources for that article was Very Well Mind, the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, and Dr. James Lake. Next, we're going to do a 988 update. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, formerly known as the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, went live on July 16th of 2022 and offers 24-7 call, text, and chat access to trained crisis counselors who can help people experiencing suicidal, substance use, and or mental health crisis or any other kind of emotional distress. People can also dial 988 if they're worried about a loved one who may need crisis support. New data released Friday by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services show that in August, the first full month that 988 was operational, the Lifeline saw a 45% increase in overall volume of calls, text, and chats compared to August of 2021. But while 988 is certainly helping more people overall, we don't know Yet, how the system is faring in individual states, says psychologist Ben Miller, a mental health policy advocate. The newly released data doesn't have a state-by-state breakdown. So there's going to be massive disparities across the states, he says. While the 988 Lifeline is accessible nationally with national network of call centers, it essentially functions as a state-run system. And states vary vastly in how much they have invested in the former 10-digit lifeline and associated services. According to a recent analysis by the National Institute of Mental Illness, very few states have passed legislation to supplement the recent federal funds into 988. There have also been warnings regarding dialing 988, notably from social media users and influencers. Many people are cautioning people Many of them are cautioning people from calling the hotline due to the possibility of involuntary hospitalizations and the possibility of police interactions, which can be dangerous as one in five police shootings involve an individual with mental illness. Emily Krebs, a suicide researcher and assistant professor joining Fordham University this fall, said that involuntary treatment is viewed as a necessary part of suicide prevention in the U.S., but that other countries don't see it that way. The United Nations has called forced mental health treatment a human rights abuse and asked countries to ban it. Officials from 988 say they recognize the risk of having law enforcement officers involved in mental health emergencies. That's why 988 was created as an alternative to 911, said John Draper, executive director of the hotline and vice president at Vibrant Emotional Health, the company tasked with administering it. 988 does not have geolocation like 911. 
Crisis counselors can use the client's area code to find local resources, however. In cases where the caller cannot or will not collaborate on a safety plan and the caller and or counselor determines the client, the caller will harm themselves, emergency services could be contacted and attempt to locate the caller and send first responders. Data from previous years shows that of 2.4 million calls per year, about 2% of interactions resulted in emergency dispatch. So out of 2.4 million calls, about 2% resulted in emergency dispatch. Mental health professionals can discuss with their clients whether calling 988 works for them. There are alternatives such as warm lines that are staffed by peers who have experienced mental health challenges. Other alternatives include Black Line, which is a hotline geared toward Black, Black LGBTQ+, Brown, Native, and Muslim communities, the Trans Lifeline for trans and questioning individuals, and other local peer-led support groups. We'll link those in the show notes. The sources for that article was NPR and SAMHSA. The next one was an interesting article I came across, a journal article that discussed how caregivers' mental health can affect a child's asthma. In a study recently published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, a link was found between parental depression and their child's asthma. The research suggests assessing parental mental health when children are diagnosed or having issues with asthma. About 8% of American children have asthma. Symptoms include shortness of breath, coughing and wheezing due to inflammation of the lungs and airways. The study followed caregivers with a diagnosis of major depressive disorder and their children with persistent asthma for one year. They found that improvement in caregiver depression was associated with fewer asthma attacks and better asthma control for children. This improvement in asthma control occurred in part, though, through a reduction in the children's depressive symptom severity. Stress and depression in children who have asthma can cause airway constriction and worsen symptoms. Then, this poor asthma control can exacerbate a child's depression. High rates of depression among caregivers may also put stress on kids, worsening their depressive symptoms and asthma control, the researchers noted. Lung disorder experts often see depression in their higher-risk asthma patients, said Dr. Andrew Gelfland, a UT Southwestern pulmonologist who was not involved in the study. These cases will lead, in, lead to bringing in psychiatrists or increasing medications if the patient's asthma symptoms aren't improving. Dr. E. Sherwood Brown, a professor of psychiatry at UT Southwestern Medical, said, It might be useful to screen for depression both in children with asthma and their caregivers. Identifying depression in caregiver and providing effective treatment might help improve asthma control in the child. The source for that was the UT Southwestern Medical Center. And the journal was Allergy of Clinical, the journal was the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. And the last story that we're going to bring to you today is the U.S. Surgeon General releases a new framework for mental health and well-being in the workplace. So as reports of quiet quitting and the great resignation resignation highlight how the COVID-19 pandemic shifted the way Americans live and work. The COVID-19 pandemic brought the relationship between work and well-being into clearer focus for many U.S. workers, according To recent research surveys, 76% of U.S. workers in a 2021 survey reported at least one symptom of a mental health condition, 
anxiety, depression, et cetera, an increase of 17 percentage points in just two years. That's quite significant. 81% of workers reported that they will be looking for workplaces that support mental health in the future. And 84% of the respondents reported at least one workplace factor that had a negative impact on their mental health. The framework outlines five essentials for the workplace mental health and well-being for organizations to develop. So we're going to share those five. The first is protection from harm, which includes prioritizing workplace physical and psychological safety, enabling adequate rest, normalizing and support on focusing on mental health, and operationalized diversity, inclusion, accessibility, norms, policies, and programs. Two was connection and community by creating cultures of inclusion and belonging, cultivating trusted work relationships, and foster collaboration and teamwork. The third is work-life harmony by providing more autonomy over how work is done, make schedules as flexible and predictable as possible, increase access to paid leave, and respect boundaries between work and non-work times. Four was mattering at work. Providing a living wage, engage workers in workplace decisions, build a culture of gratitude and recognition, connect individual work with organ- the organizational mission. And last was opportunity for opportunities for growth by offering quality training, education, and mentoring, by fostering clear and equitable pathways for career advancement, and to ensure relevant reciprocal feedback. The World Health Organization echoes a similar call and has launched two publications which aim to prevent negative work situations and cultures while also offering mental health protection and support for employees. The director general of WHO said, it's time to focus on the detrimental effect work can have on our mental health. The World Health Organization guidelines contains actions to tackle risk to mental health at work, such as heavy workloads, negative behaviors, and other factors that can create distress. For the first time, the UN Health Agency recommends manager training to build their capacity to prevent stressful work environments and respond to workers' needs. The source for that was World Health Organization and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Resources. So that is a wrap for our mental health news updates for the month of October. OPS. If you appreciate what we do, please give us a rating and like us and follow us and subscribe to this podcast on all the platforms or whichever one you listen to right now. It would be really helpful. And if you, we would love to hear from you. So if you want to share anything about these news articles, anything that might be happening in your practice, current mental health news, reach out. Our website is www.academyimh.com or in you there, you can contact us. We'd really appreciate it.